Welcome to the Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Hui Huin of the Alabama Woodworker, and I'm joined by my friends who's not here today, Sean Walker. He's actually not here today, Simple Cove, but he'll be back later. He'll be back on the next one, I believe. So, uh, And Guy Dunlop of Guy's Woodshop. Hey. Hey, man. How are you? Just just swell. Thanks for, for asking. Oh, you're very welcome. This podcast is intended to answer your your questions, the woodworking community, and give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. We also have a Patreon campaign, and we'd like to thank Brent England for his pledge. If you'd like to show your support, we are simply asking for a small donation to cover the cost of bringing you this podcast. Please go to patreon.com forward slash woodshoplife if you'd like to show your support. And please stick around to the end of the show. We'll briefly talk about what each of us have going on in our own shops. So let's get right into it. Since I'm doing the intro, Guy, you've got the first question. All right. This question comes from Dennis. And he says, hey, guys, love listening to your podcast while in the shop. As an Asian American who does woodworking, really appreciate seeing and hearing from other Asian Americans like you, Hui. You're very welcome. And share the same interest in the space. Yep. My question for you guys, I am making a round dining table. The top will be glued up walnut planks with a 51-inch diameter. The base will be pedestal style with a diameter of around 22 inches. Ooh. It will be constructed out of bet plywood using kerf relief cuts and veneering the outside with walnut and hollow inside except for some cross braces for rigidity. Mm-hmm. I plan on sealing the bottom with either a, with either a 22-inch diameter plywood or solid wood base to cover the bottom and add weights inside the base to make sure the top doesn't tip over or a larger than 22-inch di- diameter base. My question is, if I do the first option, is there a calculation as to minimum weight is needed to make sure the solid walnut top of 51 inches won't tip over? Or if I do option two, how large of a bottom base do I need to prevent tip over? Is there a calculation for that? I think option one is a cleaner preferred look, but I don't want to risk tipping over and crushing a child or a toe. Depends on you feel like the child or that toe, I guess. <laughs> Dennis didn't say that. I, 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 I shot that in there. Thanks in advance and look forward to listening to the next podcast. Dennis. So, we I know you're building a table like this right now, correct? Uh, I hadn't I hadn't even cut anything, but I was okay. designing it. Yeah. Okay. I've built uh, I think three pedestal tables in my time, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure about the calculation for weight. Mm-hmm. If you went with a, a 22 inch diameter base. I know typically you want to be within four inches of the outside edge. So if you have a forty-one, a fifty-one inch diameter, mm-hmm. the smallest I would go on a base for it, so it doesn't get tippy, mm-hmm. would be uh, fifty-one minus eight, with a lot, a lot like forty-three. Yep, forty-three inches. Mm-hmm. Using the new math, took me a second there. <laughs> uh, it was a long day, so. Mm-hmm. That's typically what I do. I'll put like feet or, you know, a round disc on the bottom. It's really not a matter of if it's tippy. It's tippy when people lean on it. You know, they sit and they put their elbows on it. That's really where the the tippiness gets in. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I'm not sure about the weight. Do you have any, yeah. any thoughts to that, Hui? I'm not sure about the weight. My opinion is I would not go that route by just adding weight because what I fear is sort of pushing on it or putting more weight on it dynamically, which would cause it to sort of tip. And then, you know, once it starts to get its weight or center of mass past that point, it's going to, you know, it's just going to teeter totter and it's just a matter yeah. of time. Yeah. I would think the weight in the center, and mm-hmm. I'm not a, a, an engineer at all, unlike some people. Um, it would definitely help. I think it would help, but I still think it wouldn't. I think when you put the, the wider base on it, mm-hmm. it helps, uh, for lack of a better term, fan out the center of gravity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. While even if so, if you had that small, you know, 22 inches is not small, but still, no. if you had a, a, a hollow pedestal and put, you know, 50 or 100 pounds of whatever in there. Mm-hmm. it really wouldn't change that center of gravity. It would just make it heavier on the center of gravity. Right. And it would right. still tip either way. Mm-hmm. Am I correct in that? I yes. And that's, that's why I've always uh, see. So I've seen 70 to 80% of the diameter. I've seen that right. I, I, on forums and whatnot. I, I've not tested it out myself and nor have I think, a lot of folks that say that have said, have tested it out, but then I've also seen four inches off. So you were saying eight inches, right? So eight inches off the diameter, right? Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 So four inches and, and in from the sides. Correct. I've seen that as well. If, if you're dealing with some type of apron or whatnot, and then connected to a pedestal, that's what I've seen as well. Um, and you told me that, but I've also seen the four inches in as well on the forums as well. Uh, but I think the four inch, the four inches may be typical of, I mean, r- correct me if I'm wrong, round tables, you're not going to see them bigger than really than like 50 inches. I've seen them between like 36 and 50, oh, but not man, more I, than that. I've, uh, we've done 12 footers at work. That's weird to me. No, well, we do it. But, but like you can't reach the center of the table. I know. We actually <laughs> did one and put a data port in the center. We yeah, so how do you to, get we, to it? We, <laughs> went to, we, we delivered it. Oh, it's in two pieces. We yeah. delivered it, we put it up, and there's, you know, it was in a, an office space. Mm-hmm. And there was um, female, mostly female employees in there. There mm-hmm. were, Actually, they were all females. And I think the tallest one was maybe 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, yeah, you're not going to switch the center. And we were doing it, we put the data port in, and I'm like, how are you ladies going to get plug anything into that? And they just said, I don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) So this is one of those, that that was one of the deals and I'm getting off subject here, but that's one of the things where the designers don't think. Right. Right. But nobody, nobody thinks about it. And I'm the one that built the damn thing. And I, the first (laughs) thing I thought is how how are you going to put anything in the center? There's a data port. Really? Yeah, that's uh-huh. a that's a good oh, wow. question. Um, oh, wow. But uh, yeah, I haven't seen I mean, I haven't seen tables bigger than 50 inches uh, like diameter because then it just get becomes a how do you reach there? Now, I've seen the uh, extendable. I, I know we're getting off subject, but I, I just want to you know talk about it. But the round table that I made was 48 inches and then it extends out 16 inches. And that base, it's so it's 48 inches. And I think that base, if I were to draw a line 
across it because it kind of has you've seen it right guy it has the four legs that come out mm-hmm. um i think that's it's somewhere between 38 and 40 inches up oh, i'm looking at it now yeah it was 38 inches so that's even a little bit in from the edges mm-hmm. but it does okay you know and i have the leaf extended out 16 inches but i'm not so worried about it tipping over there for some reason i guess i don't know but I uh, guess that 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 twelve footer I built, the base was only I think four feet wide at its widest point. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it was it was solid. It was. If you sat on it, it was falling over. Oh, geez, no way. Yep. Oh, but it's how they designed it, right? But it's how they designed it, and they I wanted. Do, it. I don't. I don't get a say in anything, man. Yeah. yeah. And that's I don't great. know if that's good or bad because you know we're just. Fulfilling the customer's wishes, so it would. So it, by the time it gets to me, it's just here. Build this. That's crazy to me. That's it. That's crazy to me. But I mean, hey, if it were me, I would go with the larger base. I just, I would go with the. I would go with the larger base. Yeah. Now you don't have to go as large. It may be as large as we're saying, but I, I think you would maybe want to go if you can go larger than twenty-two. I would. I would definitely. So. I hope that helps, Dennis and Hui. Back to you. All right. It's just us. So this has to do with uh, Mortiser, and it comes from Scott Binnen, uh, or Bonin, excuse me. Thanks for the amazing podcast. You fellows have answered my questions and were very helpful. I'm having trouble centering my hollow chisel Mortiser. I use the X method, mark a horizontal line, and then two opposing 45s to get center. I've used a marking gauge and kept adjusting till it lands on the same mark. I then adjust my X and Y axis table to hit center. Then it's not center. He's using a Rikon mortiser with dual axis table and he names the item and the model. Any thoughts would be great. Thanks so much. So definitely it sounds like, okay, so he's, I have used a marking gauge and kept adjusting till it lands on the mark. I then adjust my XY table to hit center. Then it's not center. Okay, so it sounds like there is a problem or issue with his XY. My guess is that what he's explaining, correct me if I'm wrong, guy, is that he's marking center. He lines everything up. And then I suspect that he's moving the axis of the table as he needs to, uh, you know, make the um, as uh, the, the X, ass, X, ass, X, wow, X. Axis, which is left and right. Yeah, and and Y axis table to hit center. So well, he the Y is center. going in and out. The X is going left and right. So right, it's got little wheels and it, just so everybody knows what that is. It's it's yeah. like almost like a milling machine, but it's a, a hollow chisel mortiser. Yeah, and, and it has little, like a rack and pinion that it rides on. Yeah, it's got little wheels and you spin them and it moves left and right and it moves in and out. So he adjusts his X and Y to hit center, then it's not center. I don't understand. When is it not center? Yeah. Is, he, is it not uh, center I, I, when he's I moving think, axis? I think the way I'm interpreting this, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say the way I'm reading it, the way I'm interpreting it is, is that it's... He marks it center on one side, then he goes to where the other one is, and it's mm-hmm. not center anymore. Yeah, it sounds like he has an <coughs> issue with his rack and pinion. Yeah, that's... Aligned to his, uh, what is it, the chisel mortiser. Yeah, I think it's I think it's something wrong with the x-axis. Yep. So I had, the reason why I took this is because I had uh, a Bailey 
multi-axis, three axis, one, two, and three. It could tilt. The, okay. the mortiser could tilt. Um, and You still have I, it or you got rid of it? No, I got rid of it. I, I, I used it one time and then I was like, I just never used it again. Um, now, now if I, I mean, now if I just want to do square mortises, I just chisel it out or, you know, just the ends or whatever. I had issue with the, the shaft that went through for the, um, bevel angle mm-hmm. was, was too loose. Uh, so I had to take it out and uh, pound a new one in. It was, it was press fit. And I guess for whatever reason, it just was too loose on the model that I got. So they sent me a replacement shaft and I pounded that sucker in and it was fine after that. But it sounds, this happens, right? Unfortunately, I was the subject of it happening once too. So I had to do it. But again, after it was fixed, it was fine. So you might have to inspect to see what it is. What's the issue with your x-axis? Sounds like it's the x-axis. Yeah. And see if there's any loose, anything that's loose or if it's, even properly aligned parallel with um, the chisel itself might not be. Uh, It might be transversing, not parallel with, with the chisel itself. So so the other thing is he's he's saying it's not center, but it's not saying that he's, is it like a half inch off center to the other mark? Is it a half inch off center over how far of a distance? Right. All that is relevant. Mm -hmm. So if it's, off like five thousandths of an inch over six inches don't worry about it <laughs> you're pretty good there yeah yeah so it, it, it is I, I wish i could be of more help but that's all i can think of is that there's something wrong with the the left and right or the x-axis that's mm-hmm. all i can think of because that's i i i, I wish i had some more information mm-hmm. so you know maybe you can write us write us and, and let us know Maybe we can revisit it later. Yeah. Well, with that, uh, Guy, you've got the next question. Okay. This comes from Greg. Mm-hmm. And Greg says, Dear Guy Hui Sean, mm-hmm. first off, so he's going he's gonna to say some nice things here. That's why I, I picked this. Ooh. Remember, flattery works, fellas. <laughs> Our guys and gals, everybody. First off, thank you for the podcast you produce. It is the only podcast I listen to that I have to pull over in the car to take notes on the way to work. That's pretty good. I wish (laughs) I lived closer to any of you to interact with you on a personal level instead of only podcasts. Anyway, my question has to do with needing advice on what to do with a crazy looking piece of burl. I have been helping my parents move out of their lifelong home and have inherited lots of wood from my dad. The most interesting wood is a wild piece of knobby burl, not sure of the species. I'm struggling with what to do with it, though. It's roughly six inches per side, but has many branches. I can send a pick if needed, but I wasn't sure how on the website. Anyways, I have essentially all the needed woodworking equipment, including a mini lathe, but I cannot figure out what to do with such a weird piece. I would love to make something unique, but cannot figure out what to make of this crazy wood. Yeah. Uh, cheers, Greg. Thank you for all you guys do. Keep up the good, keep the sawdust flying. Cheers, Greg. So I thought this was an interesting question because I run into this. We you get find an interesting every- piece of Yeah. Because we, we do a lot of slabs at work and we get a lot of silver maple. 
Mm-hmm. And the silver maple pieces tend to have a lot of burl, a lot of maple burl in them. Yeah. Quite a bit, the, actually. Where all the branches uh, come together? No, a burl's a burl. Okay. Okay. Um, was, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. It's like a deformity. Think of it as a, as a big zit on the side of a tree. <laughs> so, that, no, that's it. It's, it's, that's exactly it. So, we get yeah, these just, things in and we, you know, we get a, a 14 foot slab in, but the customer only wants 12 feet. Well, on the one end or the other, there's a burl. Mm-hmm. And the guys at work know that if I rarely work on the slabs. Yeah. Uh, every now and then I do, but no, not that often. Um, mm-hmm. But the guys know that if they can run across stuff like that to let me know, and I and I take it. So I deal with this stuff a lot. Okay. And what I do with it is I cut it up into veneer. I cut it about a strong sixteenth inch. I think do you, you put might it on call some- it three thirty seconds of an inch. Do you put it on type some type of sled in order to be able to slice it? No, I just slice it like any other piece of wood. Okay. And just I, put I it cut up veneer. Against the fence. Yeah, I, I just cut it up and make veneer out of it. And I've got now here's here's the thing though. Have mm-hmm. I ever done anything with it? Nope. But I've got some very nice packets of pearl veneer. So well, how do you store it? It's just taped together. Oh, okay. I mean, it's a little bit better than a 16th of an inch. Mm-hmm. And I, I will, at some point in time, use these and do some uh, like radial veneer pieces or mm-hmm. book matched pieces for, you know, small doors or box tops or things like that. I plan to use it as an accent wood. Um, do you do you find the need to keep it pressed because it's a burl? Does it nope. tend to want to curl up or anything? Nope. Okay. Nope. If you cut it too thin, it'll it'll dissolve. It'll disintegrate. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I keep it a little bit better than sixteenth of an inch. Right. Right. So and it's fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I have not put it through the, the the drum sander yet. When I'm ready to do that, when I'm ready to do anything with it, I'll put it through the drum sander yeah. and probably take you know. 32nd of an inch off of it uh, or whatever it comes out to just so it's even so when I seam it it'll do but my recommendation for this uh, veneer Greg, or cut it into veneers cut it into veneer yeah I mean other than the obvious of you get the burl and wanting to turn it because I know a lot of turners like to turn burl I would have suggested as well to turn it into veneer um, because when you have something like that, I think it just, it looks better when it's, because it's so unique to be able to maximize its use, you know? Yeah. But I think so. too, what a lot of people do with that stuff like that is a, especially if you're a turner, mm-hmm. you know, they, they take that and they, stabilize uh, it. they stabilize it in a mm-hmm. vacuum pot or something like that. Yeah. And then, then, then they turn it afterwards. Yeah. I know there's a couple guys here, a local to me that they do a lot of turning and they, they do um, stuff like that. But I know quite a few people that, that turn quite a bit mm-hmm. and they, you know, make little pens and other, uh, actually I, I know a guy that's done some pretty cool stuff other than pens mm-hmm. with burl mm-hmm. stuff. With burl. If, yeah. if you're listening out there, Kevin, you know who you are. <laughs>
veneer is, I think, the best choice to yeah. with something like a burl. I mean, it's it's Small. so difficult. Yeah, yeah. And it's just it's, yeah. it's not like you have twelve board feet of it. It's like yeah, I got a couple board feet. Right. I feel like in cabinet making, furniture making, the best thing to use it for is like some type of decorative panel. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I hope that helps, Greg. There's really not much I can say uh, uh, to that. I, I would use it for veneer or for accent pieces. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Hui, the next one goes to you. All right. This is from Doug Schreifer. And he first says, thanks for the podcast and all the information you share here. You've answered several of my questions in the past, and I have a few questions that I'd love to get your input on. I'm a hobbyist woodworker that enjoys making boxes, picture frames, furniture, and some cutting boards. I'm currently in a two-car garage that I need to be able to put everything away to put a car in from time to time. Sounds like me about a couple of years ago. I have a decently equipped shop with a saw stop, table table saw, router table in the wing, hammer combo machine, bandsaw, dust collector, drill press, drum sander, what is this? My shop? Uh, festival <laughs> MIDI, festival sanders, track saw, domino, etc. My goodness, you have everything. I guess I have everything as well. I, I currently do not sell anything I make other than I, other than I build some crates for shipping items at my day job, which pays for my tool ad- addiction. These crates are decent size, 48 by 44 by 50, so breaking down the OSB can be a chore. I can't seem to find a method utilizing the track saw that makes sense for my workflow. I currently leave the sheets in the back of my pickup and back it up to the door and position the table saw there and go directly from the truck bed to the saw and break it down. I was taking the sheets and putting them on the ground on top of two inch insulation to break down, but going from the truck bed to the ground was too much on my back. I tried using a raised work surface in the driveway going from the back of the truck to the work surface again on top of two inch insulation but this was a huge pain in the butt as well as having the insulation move around on the ground typically when i make crates i'll do at least two at a time five sheets but there are always times i'll do eight in a weekend any thoughts on a more efficient way to break down the sheets without as much manual maneuvering i thought guy might have some input based on his workflow at his job day job Oh boy, that is a lot of moving of sheets, and I do yeah. not like doing OS, it. OSB is some heavy stuff. Yeah, uh, I suggested what you did, Doug, which is I would suggest what you have already done, Doug, which is placing um, that two-inch foam. Uh, what I do is I place it on this uh, the centipede pod, and I secure it, and then I from my trailer I'm able to move plywood onto that sheet and and rather than being bent over or you know kneeling on the ground i'm doing it on that uh that centipede work surface and that seems to work well for me but i understand you know your predicament you know in your case it's it's still going on the ground um and you don't have a centipede work surface i've actually thought about getting rockler makes one and i think woodcraft has one i'm pretty sure woodcraft has one uh, but they are these tables that flip up and have an edge on them so that you can um, transport them either vertically or flat. But I've looked into actually getting one of those uh, sort of flatbed um, dollies uh, that flip up, uh, flip the plywood up if you need to move it. But, you know, the struggle is real there. I think the best solution or the one that I think I would absolutely love more than anything is actually having a pneumatic lift table 
to get up to the surface so I wouldn't even have to take it from the truck bed to the to the centipede work surface. It would just be at the same height as everything anything and I could just, you know, slide it across. I think that would be the best sort of solution to that, but you know, those work surfaces, those pneumatic work surfaces are one very expensive and two well, they're not they're not that bad. They sell them at Harbor Freight. We we have them at we have them at work. Oh, I didn't think about Harbor Freight. Yeah. yeah. All okay. it is is a piston. Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not, it's not well, I guess that's you can get it at Harbor Freight at a decent price if you wanted to. Yeah. It's not extremely cheap, but they're not like thousands of dollars. Right. Right. Maybe a few hundred. No, something like that. How do you guys break down sheet goods at uh, at your uh, shop? Well, we were blessed to have a big sliding saw that's got mm-hmm. a 10 foot throw on it. And for mm-hmm. me, what I do when I've got heavy pieces of plywood, I go over and I grab Antoine <laughs> and maybe Vincent. Mm-hmm. And I say, Hey guys, I need that piece of plywood over there up on the table saw because I'm too old and frail mm-hmm. and they do it for me. That's nice. Yeah. That's usually how I do it at work. Uh, at home? <laughs> at home. I, I do it a little bit different. So I put the, the, the sheets and I move around sheets of MDF by myself and cut them by myself. Mm-hmm. What I do is just over the years, I have figured out how to move stuff without picking it up and use leverage. So like to get it out of the back of the truck, what I'll do is I'll just drag it out and like yep. stand it up. So it falls down and hits the ground. I don't yeah. care about one of the edges. Right. And then I just drag it across the concrete. Huh? Okay. Don't care. Cause I'm going to cut an edge off anyways. Yeah, true. So I drag it across concrete and then I stand it up and I put it against the wall. I start standing up. When I'm ready to cut it, my mm-hmm. assembly table, my outfeed table, and my table saw are all on the same plane within a quarter of an inch. Yeah. Take and one that's out. what I put my styrofoam on top of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The casters on my assembly table lock, and that's the end I put them on. So all I do is I just slide it, you know, while it's still standing straight up. Mm-hmm. My, I'm lucky also I have nine foot, almost 10 foot ceilings mm. in my garage. So I slide it, put it near the, the assembly table and just flip it down till it hits the edge of the assembly table. And then I bend down and I pick it up and slide it on the- Slide it on the table, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not really ever picking anything up. I'm just using leverage to my advantage. And then I'll cut it with the, with the track saw at that point. But that's how I do it. Yeah. At home. Mm-hmm. Or if, if Doug, if you have, you know, a son and one of his friends. Yeah. Come over yeah. and have them help you move it. Well, there you go, Doug. <laughs> With that guy, you got the next question. You got your second one. This is my third one. Oh, it's your third one. Okay. Yeah. So this next question comes from John McGrath. In Houston, Texas. 
says, hi, gents. Thanks for the great podcast and constantly sharing your knowledge, war stories, and humor every week. It's always a good day when the Woodshop Life podcast shows up in my feed. That's nice. That's enough about how great you are. On to my question. No, you can just, I can just spend all day reading how wonderful we are. Anyways, for the eight plus years I've been woodworking, I've constantly heard that you should lightly spray your project with water to raise the grain and sand back before applying finish. So my question is, what's the advantage of using water to raise the grain? Why not apply a light coat of shellac or poly to raise the grain and then sand back and your coat of finish further on? Is there any advantage to using water? Thanks again for everything you do, John McGrath from Houston, Texas. I thought this was a pretty good question, and it really made me think about, you know, why the hell do we put water on it? And then I'm thinking about it, like, okay, I I think I've got an answer. Um, okay. First of all, water is going to raise the grain more than something like alcohol mm-hmm. will. If mm-hmm. you put poly on there, water-based poly to raise mm-hmm. the grain, mm-hmm. the stuff you're sanding off is going to be embedded in the first coat of finish. Mm-hmm. You can yep. only, so, you know, whatever the number is, let's say you, you raise the grain and it goes up, you know, two thousandths of an inch or a thousandths of an inch. And then you mm-hmm. put a light coat of poly, water-based poly on it, or you put a light coat of water-based poly, it raises the grain up, you know, whatever, but you're yeah. only putting like a two mil thickness of it on there so you've actually got standing up grain that's embedded inside the poly right right so i wouldn't recommend if you're going to do it not to use water-based poly if you're mm-hmm. using a, a, an oil-based poly it doesn't raise, raise the grain uh, and what about he's saying also shellac shellac doesn't raise the grain that much yes um, but it's still the alcohol raises the grain a little mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they're sanding always, in between coats though all the time with shellac. Yeah, I never. I shouldn't say it. Never. I I don't always use shellac on stuff. Mm-hmm. There's times when I just don't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, in which case, I'll use water to raise the grain. Yeah. So if I'm using shellac, I rarely raise the grain. Mm. Yeah. There's other times too where I'm, you know, like walnut, I'm putting dye on it mm-hmm. to make the that, darkness color fast. And that raises the grain. That raises the grain. Yep. Um, while I'm using cherry, I'm also using potash, which is a chemical that makes it dark. Mm-hmm. That raises the grain. Mm-hmm. Do you sand after lightly sand afterwards? Oh yeah, you have to because it raises mm-hmm. the grain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's my answer. I guess. What do you think yeah. of this? The only time I've used something to raise the grain has been when I've been I've applied something that went on before the top coat. So when I've used water-based poly, I've not purposely raised the grain beforehand. I've just applied the poly and then just sand in between coats. But when I've used the aniline dye 
when I've used, oh gosh, what else? Oh, when I've used stain, like a water-based stain and a mm. water-based finish on top of a water-based stain, I've you I've sanded after raising the grain. But see, I've sanded after raising the grain because I used a pre-stain conditioner, which raises the grain. Everything um, raises the grain. Right. Except and I've sanded after that. Oil-based finishes. <laughs> right, exactly. So that so um I've not had to do that with oil-based finishes. Yeah. But it, it, it does raise the grain a little bit, but it's almost imperceptible. I mean, it really doesn't yeah. make that big of a difference. Right, right, right. So, but in terms of his question, me personally, I've not used water to raise the grain when I was using a water-based poly. I've just allowed it to, guess, raise the grain and just sand in between coats and typically just following the directions on the back. Because not all... Directions on, I want to say the stuff that I've used, uh, the top coat, it just says to, uh, doesn't say to pre-raise the grain and then sand again. It just says to yeah. sand and then apply. If you, if you, uh, let's say you've got a, you're going to use some water-based poly. This, this is what I would do anyways. Mm-hmm. I was going to use water-based poly and I was going to use shellac beforehand mm-hmm. because I do that quite a bit with water-based poly. Mm-hmm. I always raise the grain first because that shellac that you're putting down, while it does raise the grain a little bit, mm-hmm. if you do it, just put the shellac down and then you put the water back, it's going to raise the grain again. Okay. So I'll do the, the, the I'll wet it down, raise the grain. I might do it twice. Because I really don't want that grain, I don't want the fibers to rise up while I'm putting finish on it. Yeah, you want the shellac to be a very smooth surface for yep. for finish. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I hear you. Well, uh, I hope that helps. Uh, I've got the last question, and this question is from Tom, our good friend Tom, who uh, used a whole bunch of ba- black locusts on the side of his house. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tom talks a little bit in shorthand. I think types in a little bit shorthand. I'm just I'm just trying to capture okay, what nice, he's saying here. Nice, yeah. yeah, almost done with the nightstands I've been working on and asking questions about the past month. So I think he sort of yeah. has questions about the past month. Made from two hand sawn logs I salvaged, etc. Out of logs now, I believe. Drawer front is a half inch too narrow. Side to side solution is to put a quarter inch band edge band on the drawers problem solved but i decided to do to make it more complicated want to do i want to do half inch edge band on the top as well should i just glue this on or attempt to make the smallest uh, <laughs> breadboard <laughs> ever ends by the by my math i would have to have a half inch steps quarter inch shoulder, quarter inch peg, quarter inch tenon past that and eighth or no, I'm sorry, eighth inch shoulder, eighth inch peg, eighth inch tenon past that and an eighth inch on the step covering it up. Is this necessary? Feel like I am making dollhouse furniture here after the shed and 10, 10 foot long bookshelves I just finished. Edge banding would run across the grain uh, 14 inches by 12 and a half inches by five eighths of an inch top ripped and glued as per my question a month ago, picture below for reference. I get what he's saying. I don't think I necessarily need to see the pictures because I don't see the pictures here, but uh, 
My opinion is, Tom, I think maybe you're making it a little too complex to be making breadboard ends instead of just using like, I mean, what, I don't see if, th if this is what he wants to do, why he doesn't do like some type of cock beating or something. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be that. I mean, it could be squarish or whatnot, but I've seen it done before. It's not that hard. I think you can use glue and pin nails mm -hmm. and I think it'll be fine. Right? Am I wrong on that? No. You're okay. Not, you're not wrong. I think yeah. he's just making it a little bit too complicated. Yeah. I, Tom, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it's one of those things you're overthinking it. I think he's also really, really like intelligent and thinking yeah, like you're outside right. the box and trying to think things up. I, I dig it. I dig it. But I said, yep. I, I think, I think you're overthinking it, Tom. Just do it. Just yeah. glue, glue the stuff on there. It'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, Even we're if talking it's cross like a quarter range. Range, it's, 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 it's not going to expand or contract enough to make any, any darn bit of difference. And it's still a long grain, a long grain. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Just glue it on there. Put a couple pin nails in it to hold it in place while the glue dries. You can even use tape. Yep. To hold it yep. down. I do that mm -hmm. quite a bit if I, because I really don't like to use pin nails unless I absolutely have to. Um, yeah. But yeah, just, just glue it on there, shoot a couple pin nails in it and then, you know, trim it. Call it a good. Bit after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but Tom, I do appreciate your imaginative imagination. Yeah, yep. I mean he's he sent me some pictures, Tom, and we appreciate it. Uh, like you're you're definitely have a taste for design. Like you, you're you're I, I can see that uh, that you're always trying to push the limits on design. So kudos to you, and, yep. and that's that's awesome. Yep, I always want to try new things, even if it is complicated. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. Um, but sometimes yeah, it's, it's just good. unnecessary, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> um, I hope you're laughing with us because that's 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 all we're doing. Yeah, we um, appreciate it, Tom. Yep. We do, we do, we do yep. appreciate the questions. Uh, I think is that it. Does that wrap up all the questions? I believe so. It was actually pretty quick. Without it was. Uh, three people giving answers, it seems to go a little bit quicker. Yeah, yeah, guy. Let's. Uh, Let's talk about what you got going on in the shop or maybe even what you got going on at work. Well, I'll tell you what I've got going on at work because I've got nothing going on in my shop. Um, mm -hmm. Nothing woodworking wise anyways. So at work, I, I work half days in the shop. Mm -hmm. So they gave me a project about two weeks ago where there are these chevrons that I had like, to make. Like wall, wall decor? Like, like chevron? wall chevrons, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I had to make 30 of them. Ooh. Yeah. And they're brutal. They're just brutal to sand. Because <laughs> you can't sand them on the inside. Yeah, you, you, you got to do, do hands. You only can do hand sanding and you've got I spent on the 30... I mean, I put them together pretty quick. They're just pin pin nails and glue. Yeah. But the sanding of them, 45 mm -hmm. minutes to an hour each. 
Ooh, yeah, yeah. And I just got Man. done with with them this morning. Mm-hmm. So um, I cut all the backs. That only took like an hour. Uh, so I didn't just sand that, and it's going to go back to finishing. And then we just got an order for more. Oh wow! Oh, I keep no. I keep telling these guys, you know, we 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 should not be selling craft items like this. We just can't do it efficiently. Yeah, yeah, so, that's. Mm, I um, agree with you. I told the boss. I said, "I you got we got more of these. I'm not doing them next time. Give them to, what you got to do? Give, give, give them to the other guy." Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's what I got going on in the shop. I'm shirking responsibility. <laughs> what about you, um, Lee? Well, I just completed and delivered a baluster trestle table. So there's uh, this, it's a, basically a stretcher, uh, stretchered trestle table. And ra- rather than a center post, there are these two balusters uh, that, act as posts and I completed that and delivered that about a couple of weeks ago and I recently just bought and I've been wanting one for a very long time and I've been scouring eBay and whatnot but I finally found a walking foot sewing machine that I've been wanting for a while and it is like the Rolls Royce of walking foot sewing machines it's a jukey LU2210. It's actually a pretty affordable machine with regards to What's walking What's a walking machines. sewing machine? A walking foot sewing machine is a sewing machine that's also called a compound feed sewing machine that uses uh, a drop feed. So they're feed dogs underneath. It uses a walking top foot presser foot feed. And it also has a needle that feeds in conjunction with the top foot. So okay. the benefit behind that is that you can do thicker upholstery type fabrics. Um, in this case, the machine that I got is very heavy duty. It's a very big machine. It weighs about 150 pounds. Uh, just the machine head alone weighs about 150 pounds. So I guess my next question is, uh-huh. why? Well, I would like to do some leather and upholstery. It's something that's been interesting. I've been interested in for a while, and I would like to use it in conjunction to building furniture. So, uh, cushions, upholstered uh, lounge chairs, and bar stools, seat inserts. Uh, I'd like to do more decorative piping and things like that. And I'd like to be working with more heavy duty materials, uh, uh, upholstery vinyls, and fabrics, and and some uh, medium, light to medium leathers. So this was a very, very good find because the guy was getting rid of two machines for the price of one. One of them, he was unable to get working, but I know what the problem is, and I believe I know what the problem is. So you got both of them? So I got both of them, Mm -hmm. and it's being shipped to me. And I got to pick them up at the at the terminal. I'm really excited about it um, because if I'm correct, and I think I know what the issue is, which is a issue between the computer and the um, the positioner. So these machines also know positionally where to stop and whatnot. Um, so they're kind of they're a product they're production machines, but they're really kind of neat to have. 
and um, very helpful in the shop if you do have the, some of the automation that's on them. And anyway, if you've, if you've got a need for it, though. right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because you don't need this to do upholstery, absolutely not. Uh, you know, these are production machines, like they're doing the same repetitive stitch over and over and over again. And so there's some repetitive uh, uh, repetition that you can work into the programming of these machines. My whole thought in getting it, because I got two of them, if I'm correct in knowing what the error and issue is, then I can fix it and I can sell it for more than I bought it for, for the two of them. And so then I essentially have an industrial production style machine that I got for free, right? Um, so that's my hope. I think I know what the issue is. I talked with the gentleman who owned the, owned the machines and uh, it, it very much sounded like he didn't even know that maybe he was supposed to plug something in. <laughs> Yeah, he and that's he, why he didn't working. know how he didn't know to plug it in. No, it's so the positioner, the needle positioner, <laughs> I was is making an a joke. I, I was oh, making <laughs> no, I, I think the error that he's seeing is a specific error, and he doesn't realize that. But I told him about it, and he said, Man, if you can figure it out, great. <laughs> Here, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pack it up on a pallet and, and ship it away. He, he, he does metal fabrication, and so he, he got these machines in hopes that he would be doing upholstery for the automotive industry, uh, well, uh, like custom uh, automobiles. Ended up that, you know, it's he's way too swamped in metal fabrication that he didn't he never had a chance to even really uh, learn anything with this, yeah. these machines. Yeah. So I lucked out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was a lot of information. But you know what? We, we're not even close to an hour yet, so. Well, that's okay. <laughs> We don't, All it right. doesn't have to be an hour. Yeah. Well, I think this wraps up, wraps everything up for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So please send us your woodworking questions. It keeps the show interesting. And please send them through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We would also like to thank everyone who has left us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and the feedback. And you can reach me at alabamawoodworker.com. All the links to my social media are on my website. Where can we find you, Guy? Uh, I can be found on YouTube, actually, at Guy's Shop. Yeah. I am not Guy's Woodshop anymore. It's just Guy's Shop. Like Um, across the board? Yeah, I'm going to be doing... I posted one video already that had to do with 3D printing. Yeah, I saw it. People went berserk. Really? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's great. No, people went berserk in a bad way. Oh. They were angry. Oh. <laughs> oh, because it's Guy's wood shop. Yeah. So. Gotcha. All right. Whatever. Dude. Oh. Um, well. So I'll be doing stuff like that and still woodworking stuff and also some stuff on CNC. So it's just Guy's shop now. I don't want to pigeonhole myself into just wood. Yeah. So um, <laughs> they have a new right. thing on Instagram where they you can brand yourself. And so if you go to YouTube.com slash at Guy's Shop, you can find mm-hmm. it. Um, okay, cool. So there you go. All right. And then there's Sean Walker. You can go to simplecove.com, I believe, is, is his page, right? His, mm-hmm. his site. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, great. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk in a couple. All right. We'll see you. Bye. See you.